all I know is we're up against a really good opponent. So I don't at all get caught up in the history of it, honestly, um, because I just think there's so many guys that had nothing to do with some of that. And uh, we know we're playing a great team, and but we're also confident that if we play our game, um, we have a chance to advance. I mean, it's as simple as that, but we know we have to play well to do that. Well, Flip, that was Yankees manager Aaron Boone talking to the media on Wednesday afternoon. And judging from his uh, words, it sounds like to me he has no time for this history of the Yankees and Twins. He has no time for what the Yankees did against the Twins in the past. He's living in the present. I mean, he shouldn't because that's yesterday's history. I mean, if you go back to the season series this year, the Yankees won four games to two. And it took that unbelievable catch by Aaron Hicks to make sure that the Yankees preserve one of the Yankee wins. By the way, that was might have been the best regular season game not only I've seen this year, but I've seen in the last 10 years was that you know game between the Yankees and the Twins where Hicks saved that the game. That Superman catch. Oh, that was just unbelievable. But he doesn't make that catch. And then the season series is what? You know, 3-3? Three, three. Three. So, you know, it's yesterday's history. The, you know, the Yankees have dominated, I mean, the last 10 years of whatever and more. They've, they've dominated. It's actually more than ten years. They've dominated the the series with the, the season series with the Twins. So, but but it is yesterday. I mean, it's yesterday's history. This is playoffs. It's a new chapter. It's a new chapter in, in each team's you know history. Yeah. And you know, so we got to play the game. So let's go. We got to play the games. Those are the games in front of us. Um, but for me, a fan, uh, I love the history of it. I love going back to two thousand three and seeing that the Yankees beat the Twins. I think it's ten times in the postseason. Um, yes, Boone has to play that game. Another side of the coin, though, is you have the Twins president saying it's time for us to slay the dragon. So they are kind of pulling from that history. Is that the right move for them? Yeah, I think so. I mean, what is he going to say? You know, I think we continue more of the same. You know, it's like, <laughs> he's got to say it got to say, look, it's time for us to turn it. We got to we got to start winning here. You know, it's it's a new it is a new era for them, though. The the, uh, the Baldelli era is a different era for them. And and. Uh, He's meant a lot to them. And I mean, and, and you look at their offense. I mean, they out homered the end. Granted, it was only by a home run. But it just tells you how their offense can measure up against the Yankees. They could square up against the Yankees. They have a lot going for them. And they are not, this is not a layup for the Yankees, although I think the Yankees will persevere here. No, and I agree. Their offense is uh, unbelievable, I guess. They are the most hitting, home run hitting team ever. Think about yeah. that for a little bit. Right. Um, but I want to get into pitching first. Uh, we'll talk about offense a little bit more. When you look at the pitching, and remember, as we record this, we don't know who is going we to don't. be pitching for right. the Yankees in game one. Right. But I want to know not who you would pitch. I want to know who do you think the Yankees will pitch in game one. Wow. Uh, like I said, we don't know. So we're either going to be really smart or really dumb here. Because well, I got nowhere to go. Well, you're not giving yourself enough credit. You No, you're right. You really don't have anywhere to go. Stop. <laughs> Stop. Stop now. Come on now. Give yourself more credit than that. Um, who would I pitch in game one? No, not you or the Yankees. Who are the Yankees going to pitch in game one? Tanaka. Tanaka, because he's battle-tested? Yes. I also think that there's no question of him being stretched out, and there's no question as to his exact health. Now, I'm not saying that Paxton is is compromised. I don't know where Paxton is. I mean, he came off, he was taken out of that game in Texas. Uh, they said it was a, a strain of the, of the, you know, the glute. Um, I mean, it happens. It's the game. 
it's a it's a it's an aggravating in, uh, injury. I don't know that it's a debilitating injury, but it's an aggravating injury, and it's one of those things obviously that affected him that day to the point where he had he couldn't get out of the first inning. So you know you got to have a little concern there, and also he's not he would have pitched one inning. So now you're talking about going a week and pitching one inning. Sim games are not exactly the same situation, or throwing on the side is not the same. So I mean I'm a little concerned about that. I mean not overly, but a little. And and also the fan. And then you go to Severino, who has been awesome for two of his three, you know, starts since he got back. Third start, you know, he had a little trouble. I mean, he's having trouble with command. He had trouble in his third start. He didn't have any trouble his first two. Third, he had trouble locating his pitches. That could but just be, you know, that he had his command the first two. Yes, he There's did. No reason to give you pause other than, hey, that that's one outing, right? Yeah. Also, I mean, you don't know how somebody was feeling on that given day. You I mean, you know, if they were a little under the weather. Or, I mean, it's, it's you know it's hot in Texas. It's a Texas is a different place to pitch. Uh, that's why they're you know they're going to a new stadium with a, that's got a dome and everything else, air conditioning, so you don't have to worry about the heat of Texas. You know, so again, it, it could be one of those situations. It could be the mound. I mean, there's a lot of reasons. That, you know, there's a lot of reasons to think about. Well, that's why I know Severino will probably. To me, I, he may even pitch game two, just because if they want oh, wow. it to be as familiar with the mound as they possibly can. But I mean, who knows. I mean, but I'm, I'm, I'm right now, you asked the question, who starts? I, I'm going Tanaka. Okay, I wrote down I Tanaka. Yankees, I think the Yankees start. That's where okay. I think they go. I wrote that down. We're going to see how smart you were. Remember, this is how smart or how dumb we are. Because, again, we're doing I this. I say smart. The, well, we'll see. You're a smart you know, guy. Uh, I have my moments. And I have my moments the other <laughs> you way, You signed too. my checks. I have to say that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. All right, we're going to see how smart you are, you are on uh, this series as a whole. I'm going to get a prediction out of you. Um, before I ask you that, Everybody, Buck Walter is coming up. He's coming up in just a few minutes. Do not hit fast forward. Do not hit fast forward. We're going to have him in just a matter of minutes. Flip, before we go to Buck, I want to know, who's going to win this series and in how many games? Yankees in four. You're confident? Yes. I was going to say Yankees in four, but we can't have the same pick because then next week one of us has to brag so i'm gonna pick the yankees in like nine i'm gonna say make you feel better (laughs) no okay yankees in five i'm gonna no 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 hold on hold on okay carry the one that's it carry Um, the one yankees in three (laughs) sweep that's a a sweep confident you don't give them one game the twins no yankees sweep wow that's confidence confidence dry and secure Everybody, I'm Kevin Sullivan from the Digital Media Department here at the Yes Network. He is Mr. John J. Filippelli. You hear his name on the Yankees broadcasts. Michael K. says after every Yankees win, he'll say our executive producer is Mr. John J. Filippelli. Flip, what is it? Five decades in the business? Yes. Uh, for 45 years, five decades. Long time. So you bring to this podcast a lot of history. Uh, yes. Uh, just, you know, if you're around long enough, you bring lots of things to situations and I bring some history and some experience but you know um, I'm enjoying this and I hope you're enjoying it as well and I hope our listeners are enjoying it uh, as more importantly than you and I uh, well that's the truth <laughs> although I am enjoying it I am enjoying hearing the uh, stories you tell and we're going to tell a lot of those stories here okay of course those will be after Buck Show Walter we're going to get into your favorite postseason memory uh, some earthquakes we're going to talk about um, believe it or not uh, the history of yes more on this ALDS series with the twins uh, but before we do that I want to remind everybody please this is the best way you can help us rate review and subscribe this to this podcast it helps our algorithm and it helps us the comments we do read 
Uh, most of them I do like. There were two that I didn't. Which ones were those? I forget. Oh, somebody said I was uh, arrogant. Why would you write that about yourself? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm just curious. But hey, write whatever you want. Just write. Oh, you know, write something, would you? Man. Just enjoy yourself. Listen, get it off your chest if you not loving it and if you really like it then we appreciate that too whatever i mean it's uh it's about this is about us being able to give a different perspective than you may get on a lot of other podcasts we do offer a unique perspective in the fact that we you know have the experience that we have and we know the people that we know we have a to use the word rolodex really dates you but we have some strong rolodexes that you know we can get you guests that you know other people just don't have the don't have the connections to get. So that's part of this, too. We want to be able to let you hear from these people. They're fun. They know the business. They have uh, have a, bring a lot of experience, whether it's on the field or behind a mic or behind a notepad. They just bring a lot to they bring a lot to the game of baseball. And we're able to have access to that. And that will that, I think, is one of the things that just differentiates us from a lot of other people. If you go back and look at how many people have how many guests we've had so far and, the, and who we brought to this. I mean, it's a pretty impressive list of guests. And we hope to be able to continue to do that. And one of those guests this week is Buck Showalter. He will be up right after this. You know FOMO, fear of missing out on this. It is- and this. They come all the way back. Or this. The first team to homer in 28 straight games. Let nothing come between you and your Yankees on Yes. Welcome back to Curtain Call. Our very special guest now is Buck Showalter. He's three-time manager of the year, and he was architect of those great Yankee teams that uh, became a dynasty and went to the playoffs many, many years in succession. And the same for the Diamondbacks. So he'll put them together and make them a World Series power, and he is really one of the great minds in the game. And uh, it's our pleasure and our privilege to welcome in Buck Showalter at this time. Buck, how are you, Buck? Good, John. It's October. we got playoffs. Great I mean, time. do we ever? And, uh, I mean, did you get a chance, I'm sure you did, to watch uh, last night the game between Washington and the Brewers? I mean, what a great game. And if that didn't say October, I don't know what game would. I got to tell you, John, I got hit by pitch. I got the, the foul ball. I don't have hit by pitch, but not that I was looking at it. Of course, you work for Yes Network. You better watch every game, John, right? Yes, yes. I, I, <laughs> I need to. I particularly watch the Yankee games, but I do. It's postseason baseball, Buck, and they're in all the sports, and that's why we're all kindred spirits. I mean, we baseball is what we love the most, and the reason one of the reasons you love it the most is October baseball because there's really nothing like it. Well, you know, Gene Michael and uh, John Hart both said the same thing years ago. They said, you know, there's something about the first Christmas in the year of fall and the leaves starting to turn. A lot of people think a lot of things. I always think uh, playoff baseball, World Series, uh, baseball late in the season. Uh, it, it always brings that feeling. And um, I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. Oh, it's, it's going to be great. And uh, Yankees start on Friday night as we uh, speak to you now. We're recording this. It's Wednesday, and the Yankees start against the Twins on Friday night. So there's a lot of great baseball ahead of us, and some of these series are really stacking up to be uh, quite intriguing and quite fascinating. So we've got a lot ahead of us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Buck, you mentioned before, you just mentioned a great name, uh, one of the best people that I've ever met in the game of baseball, and one of the brilliant minds in the game, was Stick Michael. And you and he had a chance to, you know, meet up in the Yankee in your your years as manager of the Yankees, and Buck was I'm sorry, and Stick was GM, and the two of you really were the architects for what became the the dynasty years of the Yankees. Well, we had a lot of help, obviously, John. You know how that goes, and you know, Gene 
uh, had that backbone, but with a sense of humility about him. And you know, there was a lot of uh, weaving and bobbing. Uh, it's like a 15-round heavyweight fight, and you got to, you know, take the blows that should be taken to get to the process of the 15th round. And Gene was, uh, you know, I was blessed to have him come through in my life. I miss him every day, but he had that right amount of uh, comedic value. You know, he could look at a situation. I mean, nobody could get uh, their back up more than him over the right things. But, uh, you know, I think he saw early that we both loved the Yankees. And, and I'd, grown, I'd grown up with him 19 years there. And he wanted the best. One, we were tired of getting our ass handed to him, to us. And we were trying to, to you know, uh, get back to where we wanted to go. And I think all of us, all three of us, including Mr. Steinberg now, shared a, a common passion for, for it. And, um, you know, nobody wanted to, you gave me some great advice. Nobody wants to hear advice. You complain about the job. I mean, you know, the job description, you've been here a long time. You got an owner that wants to win and, uh, he expects people to, to bring what you're hired to bring Isn't that kind of how it goes. And, you know, Gene was, uh, you know, he took some bullets from me along the way too. I didn't stop for a second and not think that something, some things were going on behind the scenes, but, uh, I was uh, very lucky to have him early in my career, John, without saying. I mean, no doubt. He was, a, he was a great man and, like I said, one of the, the brilliant minds in the game as well and someone who was just, uh, you know, you sit and you talk to him and, you know, after, after you spent 20 minutes, 30 minutes with him and they were, it was time well spent not only for his knowledge of the game but for the quality person that he was. Yeah, he, he just had such a – he was one of the best evaluators – not only a talent, I've never seen anybody evaluate infielders as well as him, but when he would tell me that Charlie Hayes could play third base in New York or Mike Gago could play shortstop, I kind of look at him and he goes, just trust me. And then he also, but he also was able to evaluate and something I really got from him, the sixth tool, you know, who, who could prosper in New York. And I see DJ LeMahieu and I see some of the, the players that they've acquired, uh, a voice, uh, some of the players along the way. Somebody did that work. You know, it's more than just a statistical return uh, playing in the big leagues, and Gene got that. You, you mentioned Mr. Steinbrenner. Um, you know, having had the, having we st- started yes together 18 years ago, and you know, and I will tell you, and you listen, I any, any George Steinbrenner stories. I'm sure you fuck you must have hundreds because I've got a few myself. But I will tell you this: his passion, his passion to win. Uh, he what he did was take. I mean. I must tell you, what he did was take people who he challenged you for as good as you may be or as great as you may even be. He challenged you to be even better. And he challenged you every day to sort of go outside whatever zone you were in. And it could have been a great zone. He challenged you to get even better. He would not accept, even if there was a day when you decided, well, maybe it'd be a good day to rest on my laurels a little bit. He didn't look at it like that. Every day he needed you to be better and he challenged you. You know, there was a... uh a football coach named Bob Tyler years ago at Mississippi State. And he came he came up with a saying that made me think of Mr. Steinbrenner all the time later on when I was there. I, he just had a T-shirt made up said, let's win something today. You know, in other words, Mr. Steinbrenner might win the parking in the parking lot off there, you know, rearrange it where it's more, it's better. He may uh, uh, put a different vendor in the stadium. He might have a room painted that, needed painting or something. He may have made a nursery for the players' kids. Uh, uh, he, but he wanted to win something today. He wanted to have people around him that were going to try to win. At every, he, he, he loved making things competitive for everybody. And if you didn't, if you couldn't handle that environment, then you didn't survive very long. And 
people that just sit around and agreed with him on everything was subservient, you know, all the time. He'd spit them up. He, he would chew them up, spit them out. It's just, you know, at some point, you, you know, you had to have your opinion and you heard and, you know, whether he agreed or disagreed with it, if you constantly, you know, didn't share that passion for winning something every day, then it, it wasn't going to work. Buck, you mentioned how you grew up in the Yankees organization, and I'm not sure everybody realizes that you actually played a good number of years in the Yankees minor leagues. And in doing my research for this, I see you batted 294. You had a 989 fielding percentage. Let's put that in perspective. 13-time gold glover Ozzie Smith had a 978. So I'm looking at some nice statistics here, and I'm wondering, in your mind, why weren't you a major leaguer? You know, I don't, uh, I don't look back at it like that. If I'd have been uh, a right-handed thrower, maybe some other positions would have been open to me. But, you know, I didn't hit the ball in the seats enough, uh, as, as Stick used to say, where the grass doesn't grow. And I knew that the, in the pull part of it, I didn't really learn how to pull the ball until the last year of my minor league career with Dick Sisler. And by that time, you know, the Yankees offered me an opportunity to come back and play in AAA. I was a free agent. I could go play in AAA and try to make it with another club. Or I could start as a hitting coach down in the Florida State League, and I just got married, and I was looking around going, okay, what do I want to get out of this? You know, I've always been able to look at things realistically. When I saw Don Mattingly, I knew I was not going to be the first baseman left fielder for the New York Yankees. They, they had that kind of figured out. I played with him in double-A, and I saw Steve Balboni and Pat Tabler and Willie McGee. I played with all these guys. I was going, okay, these guys can do something that I can't do. You know, the first time you see something that you go, wow, if everybody's got one of them. Mine was Mark Langston's slider. I went, there's another expression where I grew up, don't sell the mules, I'll be home shortly. You know, that was one. I said, listen, has everybody got one of those? But, you know, I didn't strike out. I could hit and run in my sleep, and I had put the ball in play, and, and guys like had me on the team, the, the managers did, so they kept me around because I'd help them win. And Johnny Oates, Stump Merrill, you know, but when you left spring training as a minor league manager and it carried on when I started managing, Mr. Steinmeier had two things he put you with. You had to either, you had to win and you had to develop players. And they were one and the same in his mind. You had to learn how to win. And he didn't want to hear about, well, we finished five games under 500 in, in uh, Albany, New York, and A, but yet we developed players. And he had called BS on that. Well, you didn't win, so you didn't teach them how to win. So it was, you know, you, and that's why Billy – Martin and some of the managers, you know, he would bring everybody into camp and we'd walk around him behind like little chickadees with the head rooster and he would stop and explain how every drill was run and why and how it helped you win. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, just part of the job description. I think that's why Mr. Steinbrenner, uh, you know, appreciated what we brought. Buck, how did you get the name Buck? You know, there's a lot of stuff out there. You know, I wasn't some guy that walked around the locker room without any clothes on. Come on. Oh, uh, I read Wikipedia, and that's what I wanted. <laughs> no, to I mean, that's I what we want to hear here. This is a part you want to hear what people want to hear. Come on, Buck. Let's go. Let's no, go that, but Eddie Napoleon was my manager who I actually took to the uh, – he was my first place coach in New York, my first year manager. Eddie was uh, the manager in Fort Lauderdale, Florida State League. I went right to the Florida State League out of college. I was drafted in the fifth round by the Yankees. Uh, after my junior year there at Mississippi State. And uh, I, he just said I was always at the ballpark when he got there and still there when he left. And and I was in some state of undress, and that's kind of – it kind of stuck. Thank God they didn't call me buck naked. That wouldn't work very good. But, you know, I was, <laughs> was a good called Matt in high school. And, 
My mother, when I was in trouble, called me William Nathaniel. I knew that was not good. <laughs> Great name. Uh, Buck, in 19, 1995, you, you, uh, you, you called the team a peace team. And it, it, I found that to be fascinating because there was a meaning behind it, and it actually spoke to your philosophy and Stick's philosophy about how to put a ball club together, the peace team. But And it also was Don Manningley's last year in the big leagues mm-hmm. and the only year that he was managed to get into a playoff. And you play the Mariners, and, and it was a very exciting, incredible five-game series, and the last game was the was the uh, Griffey scoring all the way from, you know, first, and, uh, and the Mariners won the series 3-2. to two. In a, in a series that I would save baseball in Seattle because that doesn't happen and there's no baseball in Seattle going forward for sure. But but having said what I just said, that had to be, in some cases, it was exhilarating because of the playoff situation, but it had to be enormously frustrating and difficult because of not being oh, able was, to close it. It was it was awful, John, but I'll, I'll tell you, you know, the one thing that, you know, I had more people, you remember the strike happened in 94 and people were really mad at baseball, and rightfully so. And I wish... Before any other strikes potentially happen, I wish they'd talk to me. But I, uh, when I heard a lot of fans said that was their start starting point of going back to loving baseball and wanting to be a part of it again. And we had a peace team. Just in other words, we didn't have that huge payroll that a lot of teams have now, and we had to, uh, you know, we had to find that top fifth outfielder, the backup catcher, the the long reliever, you know, all the pieces that you put together. The Yankee club, uh, the position players reminds me a lot of that. They've got a lot of movable parts. They've got a lot of versatile players. You know, when you're carrying so many pitchers that these guys carry nowadays at the big leagues, you got to have some versatility off the bench. So that's why a guy like Rochella and a guy like Torres and, and even uh, Didi, you know, they can play. Gardner can play all three outfield positions. Heck, uh, Judge could play some center field if he wanted to. DJ LeMay, plays everywhere. That It reminds me a lot of that. And we just had the, the guys that brought what they brought, and we had to explain to them, if you bring this trait, I'll put you in a position where that can come out. You're going to make a nice living, and we're going to be successful. But if you're looking, you know, O'Neill, we call a lot of grief for trading Roberto Kelly. He was uh, that center fielder in New York Yankees, you know, the Vandals, the, all the people have come through there. And um, O'Neill was, was a big trade for us because a lot of people didn't know about him until we got him, and it was very important to get him off to a good start. But uh, that Seattle series, I'll never forget. I closed the door when it was all over, and just I couldn't quit. You know, it was emotional, and I felt somebody tap me on the back. It was Mr. Steinbrenner, and he started to say something. He just walked out the door, and I appreciated that because there wasn't a whole lot he could say right then. No, that was that was a tough time, no doubt. Uh, so you you leave the Yankees, and um, you're moving on, and you're going to work for the Rangers. And uh, I understand, John. I didn't want to leave. I had I had four coaches they wanted to fire. They got down to three, and whatever you may see or read or whatever, that's the only reason it was about. My dad had told me that at some point in my life I was going to have to make a stand. It was going to be painful. I didn't want to leave the Yankees. I loved them, and. But I got put in a situation where, and I had nothing out there. I didn't know where I was going to be. My wife looked at me like I was crazy. All four of those coaches ended up having a great career, so I felt good about that. But when I went out to interview in Arizona, uh, I didn't have anything. Gary Coinslow called me at midnight that night and uh, when my contract ran out and asked me, and I interviewed with three other clubs. And, you know, it was a whirlwind thing, but it wasn't something that I had orchestrated or wanted to do by any means. All right, but so so Buck, you fell back on your principles, and but you but you do decide to leave, okay? And you're going to go on, and you are going to be 
you know, gamefully employed by by the Diamondbacks and by the Rangers and the Orioles in, in what has been a legacy career, okay? But when you leave at the time that you left, uh, the Yankees hired Joe Torre, who, who at, at the time, the hiring, and history is an interesting thing, but at the time of the hiring, the newspapers all screamed, Clueless Joe, and what was this about? And, you know, newspapers being newspapers. So Mr. Steinbrenner then says, gets on a plane and comes down to see you and says exactly what to you. Well, basically, he was, uh, he didn't know. I'd, I, my, my wife, had, uh, we had a, uh, what do you call those beepers? When I stopped in Houston to, uh, to uh, call her, because the beeper was Pager, a pager? Pardon? Pager, P-A, pager? Pager, you got it, thank you. We've already moved on, I'm trying to forget those things. <laughs> and just said that, uh, you know, he was coming in and wanted to talk. And uh, when I got to the house late that afternoon, he was there with Jim Krivak, who was a representative of mine who also lived in Tampa. They had flown in. And, you know, I told him that I had shook hands with Mr. Colangelo out there. Uh, well, you haven't signed anything. I said, no, but I shook his hand. I gave my word. And, you know, I, I actually, I think Joe was perfect for that job at the time and would be perfect for any job. Joe's a good man, was a great manager. And, you know, it, it worked out well for everybody. I don't try to rehash it a lot. Uh, and try to talk too much about it, but you know it was it was an honor to have him, you know, come back and see if we could work something out. And but it worked out well for everybody. You know, I think baseball got to see what a good manager and a good man Joe Torre was as a result of it. Buck, you agreed to join the Diamondbacks in 1995, but they didn't actually play their first game until 1998. What is that gap like for you? If, if I know you, you weren't relaxing playing golf, right? It was probably the most challenging time of my life and career, uh, baseball-wise. Uh, you know, you're in Japan one day, Korea the next day, Dominican, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Mexico. I mean, Caribbean World Series. We're getting ready for the expansion draft. We're putting together scouting apart Monday. And it was, you know, and I had brought those four coaches with me, and, I mean, we were on the ground running for two years, and there was it was 12 months here in Somebody called me right now and said, hey, we're getting ready to expand again. You want to uh, run it again? I go, I don't think so. But it was great. It was greatly gratifying. You know, we, we went into the expansion draft with the idea. The one thing that the Marlins and the Rockies kept telling me was do not fall in love with expansion draft players. You're going to find out why they were out there. And I think unlike Tampa Bay, we, we turned over our guys. We wanted to draft guys that other clubs coveted so we could get players. So we're looking for marketable players so we could get the track record you know, pick the people with the makeup a little bit better because everybody had a wart that was available in the expansion draft. And I think we turned over like 28 of those 35 picks in the first year or so and set the cornerstone for those those clubs. Of course, signing Randy Johnson and trading for Kurt Schilling through players we got in the draft, trading for Matt Williams through players we got in the draft. You know, that, that was big. So our whole idea was to take the guys that other clubs wanted and turn them over for more uh, established major league players. And before you know Williams it, you're Dallas. Before you know it, you're in your second year, you're winning 100 games, which is amazing for an expansion team. Um, I want to rewind just a little bit back to New York, if you don't mind. Uh, in addition to managing the Yankees while you were in New York, you actually had the opportunity to appear on Seinfeld. What was that experience like? You know, it's funny. I uh, I came home one night. I, I obviously managed the Yankees. You know, I had a whole lot of time to watch TV, and I mentioned to my young daughter and my wife that uh, I'd gotten this call from some 
I know they kid me because I called it Seinfeld or something. From the store. <laughs> I went, oh my gosh, Dad, it's very popular. You got to do this. Anyway, I ended up going out to uh, the early morning filming at the auxiliary locker room in Anaheim. We were playing on the West Coast. I didn't know at the time they were making fun of Mr. Steinbrenner. And he got to where he liked it later on. But you'll notice I didn't make a return engagement to that show when I was when it came out. I was told that uh, you know that probably wouldn't be a good idea. But it, I guess it's very popular and. When somebody says they saw that episode, it cost me money because by the time I joined the Actors Guild and paid the taxes on the, the residuals, I lose money. So I don't want to hear about it being on. <laughs> of course, in the episode, George tries to convince you uh, cotton over polyester uniforms. We uh, right. <laughs> we polled our Twitter followers. They all said 56% said uh, cotton. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's funny because Neil's in it, Tartable, because they used to get on terrible not working hard enough, and they had to spray water on him in the locker room to make it look like he had been sweating. <laughs> O'Neill was giving him so much grief off the camera, like, that's what we're going to start doing. We're going to spray you down so it looks like you've been working. They were, they were you know, it's early in the morning, but that's a kind of tough wake-up call out there. I, we did it in one take. The only problem we had is everybody kept laughing at, at uh, George. They, uh, Seinfeld thought that George was the funniest guy he had ever seen. But Sansa, was that, that George. <laughs> uh, you just mentioned O'Neill. Uh, Do you ever think he'd be a broadcaster? You know, I think Paul, if he's anything he puts his mind to that he wants to be, because Paul doesn't like, you know, he comes across as he's a funny guy and doesn't take himself too seriously, but there's something deep inside of him. He doesn't want to fail, he doesn't like to be embarrassed. And once you get to know him, like Paul was a guy that you had to get up out of the dugout to see if the ball was a foul when it's hit down the right field line. And Paul would jump out of the dugout real quick when a teammate would hit the ball and see if it was fair or foul. One day I said, I got you, Paul. You're trying to hide it, but you really care. He said, don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> He's a beauty, though. Gosh, was he fun to have around. And he, he could play. He was. He made, stick, uh, he made a lot of people look smart. He's become a very good broadcaster, Buck. Uh, he really has. And uh, he always had, you know, it's funny because when we were starting, yes, and, you know, we were putting the announced teams together and stuff, and, you know, I said to him, I really wanted David Cohn and I really wanted Paul O'Neill because they were, you know, they were retiring and they were contemporary. They would be contemporary players that our fan base could really sort of relate to. And he said to me, I get, I get Cohn. O'Neill? And I said, yeah, yeah I, I, I really think you could do it. I'm, you know, and, um, and maybe, maybe it's a, it's a shot in the dark. I don't know, but I, I, Something tells me that he could be very good, and because I'd spent some time around him, and I saw some things that when you spend time around people, you get to know them a little bit better, and I got to know him a little bit, and so it, it all worked out. So it's funny how that worked out. But speaking of well, broadcast, they both like being part of a team, you know. They both like being same same way with Flaherty. They like they don't mind, you know. They bring what they bring, and they're respectful of other people, but you know they're not afraid to share their knowledge when it comes down to something that they're very passionate about. Are you enjoying your return engagement back to broadcasting? Because you're working with us in oh, the yeah, postseason yeah. here, yes. Hey, first of all, John, the Yankees right now are pretty easy to talk about. But, you know, the people there are so professional. You know, I, I'm not just saying this because I'm on this, but, you know, all the people came in my locker room and, and my office over the years, the yes people were always a cut above. It wasn't even close. I'd go, you know, and I actually looked forward to them coming in because well, they, they wanted to know. They wanted certain things to know so they could have a better broadcast and then you know they like coffee too i can tell you that because they used to clean me out of coffee in my office 
that, that they could do. They can clean out of a lot of things, Buck, but uh, we'll go down that road. Uh, <laughs> Buck, let me ask you a question. Uh, there's going to be, and there already are, a number of managerial openings. You obviously have a great pedigree as a manager. Uh, is this something that you feel you're done with the, because you've accomplished so many things, or is it something that you still feel that you'd like to, you know, go back and re-engage with? Is it how do you how do you look at uh, what the off season could bring to you here? Well, one, it's not going to define me one one way or the other as far as uh, to be the last team standing. Yeah, it hurts, and yeah, I'd I'd love to, to be a part of a world championship team. And the thing you miss is you miss being part of a team more than anything. But I got to tell you, Flip, I'm very uncomfortable talking about a job, and I know you're not asking that, that is currently held by somebody else. It's just very, I hear these people weighing in and saying, yeah, I'd do that. Wait a minute, the, the blood's not even dried on them yet, and they're already, I just, there's 30 jobs there. There are people capable of doing it as well, if not better than me. I get, you know, the ownership and, I do know this. People on the field are more receptive to new things than the people in the front office sometimes are to the wisdom and experience that some guys bring. And the clubs that do the best, and there's a lot of them out there, are the ones that bridge those two groups. You know, And that's how you make good decisions on players. And it's also how you see all these mistakes being made on player evaluation because they don't evaluate the sixth tool. They don't make those calls to their high school guidance counselor and their college professors and really get to know uh, these people, but yet they're surprised by their makeup. You know, you should never be surprised by that. But, you know, if, if a job is open and someone calls me and, you know, I'll, I'll certainly listen and talk, but I'm not campaigning. I don't make phone calls flip. I don't, you know, play that political game. You know, I think I bring something that, uh, you know, it's up to them to evaluate. If it, and I would... I'm okay either way with it. I would differ with you just on one thing. What you said about a championship, you didn't want to be part of a championship team. You built championship teams. The Yankees don't win in 96 unless you and Stick do what you guys do in the prior years. The Diamondbacks don't get to where they get without your guidance and your hand and your input to putting that franchise together, which you built that thing basically stone by stone and brick by brick. So, you know, you could say, well, I wasn't there when it actually happened. But yeah, but you were. I mean, your DNA is all over that. Well, I appreciate that, John. We had a lot of uh, great scouts, great player development people, and good mothers and fathers that, you know, the Jeter mom and dad certainly helped things a lot. But, I, you know, I don't, I had a couple of moments where, you know, I was up on the stage with ESPN during the World Series out in Arizona. And uh, I remember it's all over and they're celebrating. And I end up walking back to the hotel across, you know, against the grain of the fans and people. And not, not long, I just, it just kind of really hit me like, okay, you know, this whole thing can survive without you. You know, it's, it's humbling, but at the same time, it's kind of like life. And I certainly keep it in mind. Um, you know, I've got some things I'd love to help young players or players in general, keep them from stepping on their tails like we all have. But, you know, and that happened in New York, too. But instead of having some negative emotion, it was a great feeling of pride of, of being able to have a small part of that and knowing how hard it is to do what they do. You know, whether it be Joe Torrey finally getting recognized for the quality baseball man he is, it might not have ever happened. You know, uh, so, you know, there's some, there's some quiet moments there where you're, you have some time to reflect and you realize that life's a little bigger than that. 
Before we let you go, Buck, I want to ask you a little bit about this year's team. We're uh, heading into the postseason. It's going to be Yankees-Twins. And uh, what do you think the Yankees need to do to be successful against the Twins? Well, I wish it was that simple. Just do this, and this is all going to happen. First of all, understand the Yankees know that the Twins are very good. And regardless of what happens, they're not going to take them lightly by any means. You don't win 100 games over a seven-month season. I mean, your strengths and weaknesses always show up in baseball. There's no Cinderella's. They're capable of winning three games and sending the Yankees home right out of the shoot. You know, it's just – you just need to – I think the people that grasp the difference in the postseason, you know, I've, I've said before, you manage one way in the spring, you manage another way in the regular season, you, will, you manage another way in this god-awful thing called September call-up baseball. And then you gotta you got to do it differently in the postseason. And I've learned the hard way in the, and back and forth watching people do it. And I think Aaron's smart enough to understand that. You know, hey, I appreciate everything you've done, but this is what, what have you done today, right now? You, you play each game like it's the seventh game, and you see when the smoke clears what's standing. And if you lose the first game, it's not over. It, it's such a momentum thing. You've got these unbelievable moving juggernauts that are getting ready to collide. And who? And, and one thing can set it. I mean, we had everything going in 14. Yeah, you know, we beat Detroit, and they're three aces, and here we go into Kansas City, and for two or three games, I'm telling you guys, every ground ball they hit hit a bag. I mean, they're hitting foul poles. They're, I mean, I looked around and went, my God, we can't catch a break. And it just kind of hits you that sometimes the baseball gods aren't kind. Now, that being said, and I know nobody's going to listen to this, if, if it doesn't work out for the Yankees, please understand what a great, unbelievable, entertaining, and gratifying season they've had. But they got a chance. They got a good chance, especially if they get that first game under the belt. But game two in the five-game series is usually the pivotal game. But, you know, once they get the cobwebs out, and it's going to be a little bit of a, a feeling around like a heavyweight fight early on. But here's a shocker for you. Whoever pitches the best is going to win. Some of these home runs are going to go away because your pitching is so much better in the postseason. And that's where a guy like D.J. LeMayhew and some of these guys that can really handle the bat come into play in the postseason. Buck, Buck, again, we want to say thank you. Uh, we know your, your time is uh, precious these days, and you got a lot going on, so we look forward to your observations on uh, yes in the postseason here. So, on, uh, so thank you for being part of this, and uh, thank you for all the years of uh, your, your insights and your presence and, you know, your, just making baseball, help making baseball the great game it is. So thank you for your time. Well, and I appreciate it. That means a lot. That's very kind of you, and uh, we'll see you down the road. Right, It'll be see, fun. See you down the road, Thanks, Buck. Buck. Bye-bye. Thanks, Buck. All right, guys. Bye-bye. Well, Flip, no surprise. Buck was a great guest. Uh, hilarious. I think uh, that goes under the radar. He's a pretty funny guy. Uh, and he goes along with a long list of great guests we had. We had A-Rod. We had Michael Kay, David Cohn, John Sterling. And, guys, if you like this guest list, please rate, review, and subscribe. That is very important to us. Please follow us on Twitter as well. We are at Curtain Call Yes. And, Flip, I want to talk more about the Yankees. You ready? Sure. I want to talk about roster construction. The way uh, we stand right now, again, we don't know what the roster is going to look like just yet. Uh, I'm guessing 13 pitchers. What do you think? You know what? Probably because I mean they're going to need they're going to rely on the bullpen because first time any any starters in trouble here. And again, I I listen. This could go obviously one of two ways. The starters could go in and and be really effective given what they're capable of doing, and they could go in there because there's always a question about 
there's actually a question about all three potential Yankee starters to me. So, and if anything happens or starts to materialize, that Boone would be smart because the strength of the team is really the bullpen to go that bullpen early and often. So that leaves you with 12 guys for the rest of the roster. I'm going to run down some names. These are the gimmies, I think. Left field Stanton, center field Gardner, right field Judge, third base Urshela is healthy. I assume he's healthy. Uh, shortstop Didi, second base Glaber, first base LeMayhew, catcher Sanchez, DH if healthy, and Carnacion. So those are the gimmies. That leaves you with three spots. Who are your bench guys? Well, Romine has got to be one. Yep. Uh, Romine, Ford. Wow. And Wade. Ford. Yeah. Why Ford? Well, first of all, no Voight. I think we both agree no Voight. Not that we don't want him. He really struggled for the, the at the end of the season. He was really struggling. And, you know, there is such a thing, you know, people say, well, it doesn't matter. There's the hot hand. And I, I actually believe in a hot hand. And I think Ford had showed too much to, to be ignored. Also a lefty bat. I mean, you, you can't mitigate the value of a lefty bat, particularly at Yankee Stadium. So given that they're both, you know, defensively are not, defense is not the strength of either Ford or Voight. You know, they're there for offense, and I would go with the lefty bat. And you're right, LeMayu has got to play, obviously. And that's the that's the beauty of LeMayu. You can put him about anywhere in the diamond. Also, actually, don't forget, I don't know about first base, but you could play Wade, anywhere, including the outfield, anywhere you need. And plus, he could steal a base when you need. He's got the speed, and he's a great defender late in the game. If Stanton gets into whatever, they want to move somebody. They've got a great defensive player who can go in there and play it. That's why you got to have Wade. you got to have a backup catcher. That's Romine, so that only okay. really leaves the one spot. So you're going I'm Romine, going. Wade, Ford. That's where I'm going, yeah. All right, I'm going Romine. Obviously, you need him. Wade, I like the speed in the postseason. That makes a ton of sense, and he could play anywhere. I don't know about Ford, and I'll tell you why. Ford is a pinch hitter. He's off the bench, right? If you look at that lineup, who are you pinch hitting? I, I want somebody else. I want like a, a Mabin maybe or somebody who can play the field. Um, so I'm going to say Romine, Wade, and Mabin. We're going to see how smart we are. That makes, you know, there's, there's, sense, to, there's sense to Mabin. I get that because the truth of the matter is you, you, it's either you, do you play Wade as, as an extra outfielder because you could, or do you say get a real extra outfielder? That would be Mabin. You could do that. Mabin, again, right-handed, you know, another right-handed. I mean, I, I'm very sensitive to that, to right-handed, too many right-handers. I like the balance, so therefore I, and I, I could see a scenario where LeMayu may not play first base, so they may put Ford at first. I could see that happening, I could play LeMayu somewhere else. I mean, remember, you've got situation here, shortstop situation. I mean, you know, Didi's, Didi's interesting too, because to me, this is a real, this is obviously a big, a postseason is huge for Didi because he did not have as great, uh, since he came back from the injury, he's not been as strong as he'd been in his you know prior Yankee incarnations here. So I, I really think that he's playing, he's a free agent at the end of the year and he's playing for a lot. The Yankees are playing for a lot as a team, but on a personal side he's playing for you know, a, a, he a contract. contract. He wants a contract. 29 year old, sure. this is it. Whether it's here or somewhere else he, and he wants the best contract he can get. Now there there are ways around that you know there, you could make a you can you know make a deal with a player to stay one year you give them whatever Th- that could happen but I'm just saying that in, in Didi's mind I know he's he's going to put he's going to want to have the best you know postseason he could possibly have. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I want to shift over to home runs because we're looking at literally, uh, and I'm using the word literally correctly. Our, our producer Jason Marshall does not like when you use literally incorrectly. 
literally the two most prolific home run teams in the history of Major League Baseball right now. Knowing that, my question to you, the team who hits the most home runs, is that the team who wins this series? Not literally incorrectly. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not necessarily, no. I mean, I, I don't think so at all. I mean, a team, you know, and there's a lot of times in postseason play, and, and you know, everyone knows this, it's, you, see, this is where this gets intriguing to me because the starting pitching to me, you know, the Yankees have an edge in the starting pitching. I, I strongly have an edge here. But the reality is that the, I could see the Yankees getting in some trouble too with their starting pitching. And I could definitely see the Twins getting in trouble with their starting pitching or whatever they run out there, actually. So given that's the case, they could be they could be a lot of home runs. But at the end of the day, something tells me that there's not going to be that many. I still believe it's going to come down to creating runs because that's what you have to do in playoffs. You have to create runs to win. And I think the Yankees would be better, at, believe it or not, better at creating runs than I think the Twins are. Wow. In those two stadiums... Mm-hmm. You're saying it doesn't come down to the long ball. I'm not saying that there won't be home runs hit, but I do th- look, look. Look at the games that were played. Look at the, time, the last time the Yankees won when they won. The Ticks made that incredible catch, and we talked about that that earlier. How what an unbelievable catch that was, and how the season series went to the Yankees because of that. Right? If you look at it like that, and you say, "What did it come down? It came down to defense." Okay. The, yeah, the home runs. It still came down to defense. It comes down to pitching. It comes down. To, it always comes down to pitching and defense. To me, I mean, again, as we're having this discussion, we're talking. We're on a we're we're on a Wednesday now. Okay? Correct. The playoffs start for the Yankees start on Friday. But last night there was a wild card game, and look how crazy that that wow. game was. We'll get into it, that. It wasn't about home runs. It was about it was about creating runs. It was about you know getting up there and you know getting on base and then getting a single and going to third base and then drawing a walk and then drawing out a count. I mean that's create that's creating a run. That isn't a home run that decided it. So and again you had the Brewers and you had Washington. Washington's a pretty strong home run hitting team too, as the Brewers are as well. So you start looking at it, you say it comes down to run creation. It, to me, it's about defensive run creation, and I think they will play a part in this series. I really do. Well, as we've said, uh, we're going to see how smart we are. Or dumb. Or dumb. I'm, I'm or leaning, you're, you're, right now, I'm, I'm you're right out there. You're leaning on the dumb. I really am. I, wow. I probably am. Why are you looking at me when you say that? No, I'm looking at myself. <laughs> it's an introspective. It's a very introspective person. I'm sort of looking at myself. Okay. Uh, here's something we can't get wrong. I want to go back in time a little bit. Uh, one of the things that sets us apart, Flip, is your history in this industry. Um, we have this new segment. I'm calling it In the Truck. That's an awful name for it. We'll come up with a new name for it because um, it's not all stuff that happened while you were in the truck, but it is the history of Flip, so to speak. And Flip, you told me the other day you were on location for three earthquakes. Is that right? I was someplace where there were th- sporting events and there were three earthquakes. That's right. Okay. That's what correct. was the first one? The first one. See, I don't know if the first one was the second or the second was the first, but I'm going to just lay it's it out third. like this. No, the third was the third. I oh, remember what the third oh, one was. Okay. So the first is the first, second is the first. Okay, I'm going to go with this. The first one, I believe, it was a Rose Bowl game. And we were, I was in the truck, and Harry Coyle was the, great Harry Coyle was the director who directed so many big moments in baseball history. You know, ball going through Bill Buckner's legs, the Kurt Gibson game. Actually did the first baseball game ever televised, which was between, you know, two, two college teams. Uh, like in 1939, he was at the Dumont Network and did that the game. The Dumont Network. So he was, uh, and he invented the center field camera shot and a million things that people still see today with the work of Harry Coyle. So, so <laughs> the truck shot at a shake, and he started. He said to the camera guy, "You stop moving. You got to stay. St- what are you doing there? Stay steady. So stop moving around." 
and it was an earthquake. We were in the Rose Bowl, and it was a Rose Bowl game. So the, I don't remember what year that was, but I know that that happened. So that was one. That was a little. Okay. That was like my first, the, the first earthquake I had ever experienced. So that was a little, uh, un, you know, un, un, I would think nervy. so. It was, yeah, did that too. It's sort of would, had that way of uh, unnerving you, All if right. you will. So that was one. Good story. I like. Two, Okay, Jason okay, Marshall. Producer Jason Marshall says, jumping in. Uh, says 1979. So thank you, Jason, for that. Okay, thank you. He's also a researcher. So he does our engineering. <laughs> he quasi produces that he does. Uh, I, I know research. the story of the second earthquake. Yes, which you is, were not in the truck. But you no, were, the second one, I, second one, right, I was not in a truck. You were right? working, so to speak. No, that's the third one. Okay, okay. <laughs> so give me the second the one. The second one was I was in Southern California and I was at a meeting. It was like an industry meeting. I don't remember what it was for. I think the, back in the days of the used television network or something. So something like that. And it was, I don't know, middle of the night. And I remember like I woke up on this rumbling and I woke up and I remember seeing a lot of times you see in these movies, like you see the dust coming from yeah. the ceiling and stuff. Well, I actually saw dust coming from the ceiling. And I said like, what? what is, I said, wow. It's like, I remember I woke up, I was groggy, didn't know what, I said, it's an earthquake. So it's shaking, and I see the room is, I feel the room shaking, everything is shaking. So, you know, I waited for it to kind of know what to do, so I just sort of stood there, hoped I'd wake up, and I finally got myself together. I, like, grabbed the robe, those, you know, the robes, they yeah. put those hotels behind the door, yeah. you know. So I put the robe on, I ran, went downstairs, I got out, and I ran into Larry King. You know, Larry King is standing there with, with his robe on and his slippers, he's got a cigarette, and he's hanging out around. It's you his know? robe, I'm imagining yeah. his robe is silk. And he has a, a pipe. Uh, no, that would be like a no. That would be like uh, the guy that ran Playboy. Oh you yeah, yeah. Have to, you have the pipe or something. Yeah, no, yeah. Larry okay, King did not have a pipe. Sorry no to pipe. interrupt. You saw no Larry pipe. King. Yeah, I saw him. Was man. he there on work? He was there. You know, he probably was there for the for the industry meeting. I didn't. I I guess that's why he was there. But I ran into him. So he's down there, and I, we had known each other because I had hired him for when I did was back at NBC years. I did a show called NFL Live, which was a oh, half day pregame football. You, you worked with him. I did. I actually hired him. Oh, I wow. hired him to be like our inside information person to counter CBS's Will McDonough. So I needed somebody. So we hired Larry King. I said, Larry King must knows him. He knows a lot. He's no gossip. He knows he can Makes get sense. facts and know yeah. people, get connections. Well, I hired him, and he and every story he gave us, every scoop he gave us, didn't pan out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so at the end, of the, I just wound oh. up saying, "Oh, Larry, you're a great talent, but this is not for you." And so I let him go. So and I really hadn't had a lot of uh, conversations with him. Like, so you fired Larry King. Actually, I did. Yeah, I mean from the from NFL football. You got a lead with that. <laughs> that's huge. Uh, I'm not a, the only people who fire Larry King. So I mean, oh, if, that's true. That's you know, true. but but you know, Larry. Listen, if you look at but you look at the industry, and look at how many successes Larry King had, and what a great. He might be the best interviewer, by the way, in the history of he and Bob Costas to me are the two best interviewers that I've ever run came across because they knew how to ask a short, quick question and to get invoke the best answer from a, a subject that you could possibly get. Unlike us. Unlike us, right. Yes. So Larry had a lot of strengths. I mean, Larry's a broadcasting legend. It just was football was not his thing. So you worked with Bob Costas as well. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, Many years. Joe Buck, I believe. Yes, Joe Buck. I, I gave... Uh, you know, I talked to Mike Weissman about hiring about hiring Costas. Uh, Buck, I had at the Baseball Network, and I remember talking to Fox about him. And and then uh, when I got to Fox, uh, I we were going through our talent as to who was going to do our baseball when Fox got the baseball package. And I said the lead guy's got to be Buck, and there was no two ways about it. And I mean, I'm not saying they violently disagreed with me, but I was I was 
he was the only way to go as far as I was concerned. So I know you won't say it, but I will. You are uh, somewhat responsible for the development of these people, a Bob Costas and a Joe Buck. Um, who else? Well, I mean, they, they would have developed themselves because they were such unique talents. But let's just say at the time they, they weren't as they weren't who they became. Okay. Be fair thing to say. Who else do you work with that I don't know? A lot of people. I mean, I, I don't want to go through all the people I've worked with in my career because 45 years is a long time. But a lot of people that, uh, let's just say that we, we came across and I, I said they, they could be really good to give them a chance. They might be pretty good. I mean, the last, the last Sarah Kustak was one of the last ones. You know, we had our, hired her as a sideline reporter. And I mean, I liked her as a sideline reporter. I thought she had a lot of potential. She's now, you know, one of the few women analysts in the NBA lead analyst i don't know who else there is i mean but uh, she's right there she's unbelievable the nets crew in general is unbelievable ian great and job grady michael grady who was the pa announcer in indianapolis we got his tape and i said who is this guy this guy's really good he said he's a pa announcer and i said you know what this uh, this guy this guy seems right on to me let's bring him in for an interview we interviewed him and we loved him and michael grady's developing to one of the better talents in the business now so you've had a lot of great hires i would say Great highs, one or two clinkers, but you know, Who yeah. Who are clinkers? Give me a clinker. Oh, God. He enjoy. He enjoy. No, no. <laughs> I love he enjoy. He enjoys another one we found. I mean, I liked his accent. He said, We need a soccer announcer. I liked his accent. I said, He's got a great accent. And he played. He must be good. So and let's a, hire him. And a great look. Oh, my God. He turned out to be awesome. Yeah. He enjoys great. He does some Instagram takeovers you know, for us you know, that yeah. are just. Oozing with he's the best. He's a great guy too. Great guy too. Uh, clinkers. I, I don't know. I wouldn't go there. I mean, I yeah, thank you for bringing that up. But uh, we all have them, and you know, I'd rather not. You know, because so what is a clinker to me might be someone else's. You know, to, you know, Jason uh, Marshall. Someone yeah, else's Jason someone else. Marshall. Oh, that's not I want to shift gears. Wow, a little bit. Jason, Jay, baby, come on. Oh, a little. I, I've got to set up a mic just to defend myself. That was a compliment. Uh, a clinker that? to somebody else is somebody else's Jason Marshall. Like that's I got a, it. Yeah, I wasn't. Okay. He was actually bashing you. He's just right. trying to did get out of it. Did you see how he squirmed out of that? Was he good. did. He actually squirmed out. That was good. You you may you may yet have a, a future in TV. Look, how, I should right. be a lawyer. All right, Jay. Enough. Let's go. Enough. Enough. We talked last week, hey. Flip, about season awards. We talked about yeah, MVP. Yeah. We talked about Rookie of the Year. Mm-hmm. This year, I want to talk about this year. I'm sorry. This week, I want to talk about Cy Young and Manager of the Year. I'm going to give you some names. We'll start American League Cy Young. I think these are the three in no particular order. Verlander, Garrett Cole, the third one's tough, maybe Charlie Morton. Bingo. That's Bingo. it. That's your order. Oh, in order. Yeah, that's, I'd go that way. All right, you're not going to. That's tough. Though. That's a safe bet. Well, it's 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 probably a safe bet. I mean, you could make a strong case for Garrett Cole. That's where I go, Garrett Cole. I mean, you could, uh, but you know, listen, he's but he's whatever strong case you can make, it's not going to be stronger than Verlander. Well, I, mean, I think it is. What, because of I the ERA? Stronger. Yeah, because of the ERA and the Ks. His 326 Ks versus and, Verlander's 300. And you know what? I, would, I wouldn't I would say Ks are overrated, but let's say everybody gets Ks now. I mean, every game you watch is got, got more than Verlander. Out. Okay. And your point is... And he's got a better ERA. you got to mark it on something. Uh, it's not going to be home runs. No, I mean, no, it's not going to be that. Well, Verlander actually gave up more home runs. Verlander gives up home runs. All right. But it, look, but to the voters, I'm just telling the way the voters will look at it. They will look at it and they'll say, no hitter. Ver- Verlander had a great year. And no matter what you want to say, his year was great. Now, Cole's ERA was lower, for sure. And I don't know that wins, you know. Yeah, I wouldn't scream, even bring up wins. 
you know, whatever. But, I mean, they both were really right there. They're right? both 20-game I mean, 20 20 winners. Yeah. And, by the way, what's-his-name wasn't far behind Orlando was 21. And what's-his-name, third one. Charlie? Uh, uh, no. 16. No, 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 no. Uh, and the third pitcher on the um, the Astros from the race. Uh, oh, uh, right. From the Diamondbacks. Granky, thank you. I mean, he wasn't all that far behind them either. I mean, so that, that just shows you the strength of those three. So we could sit here and awards are awards, and some people vote on They'll actually look at it all, and they'll break it down, and every this and every that. And you know what? They're not wrong for doing that. And some people will just look at it and say, you know, that just because Verlander is Verlander, I'm giving it to Verlander. Well, that's awful. That's like giving yeah. somebody a gold watch just because they worked here for 50 years. Cole None. clearly had the better season. He had a better year. I don't know that he's going to win the – I don't know that he okay. gets a Sion, though. Okay. Uh, National League. Yes. No order. Max Scherzer. No. No. Jacob DeGrom. Yes. Good. Hyunjin Ryu. No. It's DeGrom. DeGrom. Okay. Yeah, I'm go going to give you his numbers. 11 and 8. Okay. Fine. Wins. That doesn't mean anything. Nope. 2.43, 255 uh, strikeouts. There's not anyone near that, I think. No, his numbers are – his the, the win total isn't great, but the, the Mets didn't have like this awesome year where they won – you know, the Mets were several games over 500. Then they made a run. They made a great run for six weeks. But they were so far down in the standings that for them to put that run together was, you know, was really terrific for them. But that got them over 500. That's all it did. He had no run support. He got no run support last year when he won the site. None. And he's, he didn't get a whole lot this year either. If he had gotten the support that he, they should have given him, that 11 and 8 becomes something like, you know, 18 and 5. Right. I mean, whatever, somewhere along akin to that. That's how strong he's been. I and mean, he's been dominant. Every time he goes out there, he gives you a chance to win. More than a chance to win. He gives you a ridiculous chance to win. He is one of the elite pitchers of this, of, 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 in the game now and has been for the last couple of years. All right, so we both agree it's Jacob DeGrom. Let's move on to manager of the year. In the American League, I've been screaming it forever, but I'm going to do it for you. Here's the three. Yeah. Aaron Boone, Rocco Baldelli. Should Terry Francona be three? I mean, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter, I mean, right? You, there's a couple you could you could throw Hinch in there too if you wanted to and say, well, I mean, that, the Astros are so great. Do they really? Well, somebody's got to help steer that ship. I mean, he deserves some credit too, and he doesn't get it. Uh, but he, and, but for manager of the year, certainly not. I mean, it's one of two, and you could make a case either way. You could make the case for Aaron Boone for sure because he managed a crisis. I mean, he said, you know, how many players went to the DL for how many stints? I mean, it was, I've never seen anything like this in all my years of watching baseball and following baseball. I have never seen an injury list like the Yankees had to contend with. And he kept them relevant. He made mixed and matched. No matter what players he was given, the pass the baton thing is great. But somebody's got to help you know, manage them and coach them. And it isn't just his men. It's also the coaching staff deserves a lot of credit. People forget it's just the managers. It's also his coaching staff that deserves some recognition and some look at. So between what the Yankee manager did, Boone, and what the coaches did, it was phenomenal. Phenomenal. But um, but having said that. <laughs> I know where you're going. Baldelli a- is going to be tough because, I mean, a lot of some people picked the Twins to win. Most people didn't. I didn't. You know, they had a tremendous start. And then they had a, they had a hold on for dear life at the end. They did. Uh, and that's part of why I think they'll be in some trouble when you get to this year, we match up with against the Yankees because they haven't played particularly well the last you know two months of the season. I think they had a lot of problems, but I think Baldelli did an amazing job with this team. You can have Baldelli. I'm sticking with Aaron Boone. I, I didn't make a pick. You just uh, said I when have you Baldelli. said but that made me think you were picking Baldelli. Well, you would be right. Okay, <laughs> but. 
but I could see the case. And Aaron Boone has, has done a great job. So I'm not I'm by picking Baldelli. I'm not mitigating remotely with Aaron Boone. No, is. I so know that. I think it's going to be really close. I mean, it's a, this is really close. And this is going to watch when the votes come out. It'll be very close. But I think I think Baldelli gets it. I would give it to him. All right, we'll see how smart we are when we go back. Or how here. dumb. Or we how we can. dumb. You keep saying smart, you forget the dumb you part. You keep looking here. at me when you say dumb. Yeah, no, I'm just saying we could be dumb here. All right, let's go to the history of yes segment. You ready for this? I'm ready. Jason, we should probably get a drum roll or something. Not, not. All right. Ding. Wait, wait. It's a, you know, it's a really, it's a stormy night. Did you know that? Oh, let's go. So for the uh, listeners. See, stormy. This is an hour-long podcast that takes three hours to record because Flip just does that <laughs> all the uh, time. You know, just, just, we'll keep that I do one this in. This is my own music. I, I just I'd have fun. You know? I'm not entertaining you, you apparently. All right, history uh, of yes, Flip. I want to talk about what goes into broadcasting a live parade. We did it in 2009 when the Yankees won the World Series. Hopefully, we do it in 2019 again. Uh, but let's go back to 2009. Give me the overall. What was it like? Is it a uh, Flip the switch, we're live. Is that easy? No, it's not remotely easy. No, no, no pun intended with remotely. Um, it is basically because you don't want 72,000 cameras in the camera lining the Canyon of Heroes. What it is is that they'll do what they call a pool feed, which is the basic coverage that everybody who wants to cover the parade or put it on air gets as a basic feed, if you will, of the, of the parade. It's just done by a handful of cameras that cover it. And 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 what and what you're supposed to call a unilateral. What they, that means is that you take that basic feed that's provided to you if you want to take it, and it's done by you know, but basically what they call a pool feed. So five or six, seven, eight cameras along the way, and they sort of cover the the parade for you. And the whole idea is that you take a camera or two or three, depending, and you take the feed and you personalize it. In other words, you take that feed, which is going to give you the basic coverage, and then you say, take a Michael K. and uh, let's say a Meredith, and they're together, and they're so they do their lead in. And they'll forget, oh, here we are at the parade. Da 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 da. That's one camera, and that's just unique to yes. If SNY say we're covering the parade, which I'd have a hard time believing SNY is going to carry the Yankee parade, but all right, say they did. Okay, so then they would take their announcers and they would have a camera that would shoot them. So it's personalized to their audience, okay? And that's the whole point of it. Or if we grab an interviewer on a float and we get an interview, well, we, the, the pool feed is not going to cover that. So we need a camera to make sure that we have can cover okay. that interview that the, we do. So that's the whole point. So that's the so setting it up is it's not a nightmare, but it does take some thought as to how you're going to deploy your extra cameras, where you put them, so you have the most complete coverage for us. Because remember, it's our—it's really our parade because it's a championship parade, and the other people who are covering are going to give it more lip service, basic coverage. Get We're going to get more way. specifics. We're going to be more specific. Yeah, about, yeah something. Like All right, that. I have a ton of questions. Go. So a pool feed, you said maybe five, eight cameras. Could be yes. Who's providing those cameras? Is it the city going out and renting? Yeah, well, well the city usually provides the pool feed, and you could just. Pop into it if you want to subscribe to the, the pool feed. You want to cover it. Say you're Channel 7 and you want to cover the parade. You take the pool feed and you have whatever. Maybe you have an announcer in the studio, one of your staff announcers, sort of talking over it. You know, there's the float. There's so-and-so and there's so-and-so on the float. There's Glaber Torres on the float. And he's waving. Didn't Glaber have a great year? And now oh, there's DJ LeMayu and what a great pickup he was for the Yankees and blah, 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 blah. And that's kind of what happens. Okay. And then if you're us... You do a lot of the same thing, except we put our people on camera. We have a lot the ability to go to different locations. With our cameras. With our specific so cameras we that went are with different. with our own cameras. We took the basic feed, and yep. we augmented it with about five of our own cameras. Okay. So we're talking about, if we wanted, yes. 10 cameras. Between the pool feed and what we had, probably more. Wow. 
Poofy was probably more than five. It was probably six or seven. And we had, if I remember correctly, were some of our talent kind of peppered throughout the route? Yes, they were peppered throughout the route. And, and a lot of them were at, were at City Hall. Yep. You know, which was kind of, uh, I think everybody winds up. It's starting to canyon here as you go right to City Hall. That was a zoo. You think? There yeah. was like a couple of million people there. So it was crazy. It was beyond a zoo. And my, my friend, let's get to what was really interesting here. What was really interesting was the floats because we got a float. Yes, got a float. It was our own float. Now, it says usually when you're on a float, it says like if you're Yankees, it's New York Yankees. Like, like, you, like you, you wouldn't know who Aaron Judge was, right? Of course you would know. But it says it's got a float, right? It's a float this. It's got Yankee this. It identifies what it is. We're on a float, and it said yes network, okay? And it was our announcers, and we were on a float. And it was a great experience until that sign, those, that signage blew away. It was gone. So now we were going down, and people with no idea. So we're going on floats, and they're seeing Aaron, this Aaron Jones everywhere. You know, they're seeing Alex Rodriguez, and they're seeing Mark Deschera, and they're seeing, you know, Burnett and CeCe and, you know, some of the other players that were on the team in 09. And they're seeing all that. And then they get to us. And what do they see? They don't see anything. So they're going, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? That's what they're chanting. Did you chant back? We were. We started yelling back, yes, we're the yes. They were like, oh, okay, okay. Uh-huh. I mean, but there were literally millions of people. It was an incredible sight. And then to see the ticker tape and to realize what had gone in the history of, you know, the Canyon of Heroes, you know, you're just the latest in that canyon of heroes, right? So you look up and you see the ticker tape and you realize that, you know, like some of the most interesting, famous people on the planet have done some of the most interesting things, particularly in the field of aviation, you know, have you know, crossed oceans and gone to the moon and, you know, everything else that they have the parade they've had in New York with recognition of, of, you know, something that was, you know, de- deemed to be spectacular, um, you know, winning uh, New York, you know, teams, et cetera. Um, championship team. So yeah. it, it was a great experience, a lot of fun. So uh, I was on a float too. Yes. Um, you just said how great and how fun and how amazing it yeah, was. Uh-huh. Yes. Me being the OCD guy that I am, all yes. I could think about is wh- who's going to clean up all these papers? Yeah, sure. There's paper <laughs> everywhere. Stop throwing all this paper. That's right. How'd that go? Um, it didn't go well. Did Who cleaned it up? Do you know? I don't know. Your tax dollars, I'm sure. Not mine. I live in Connecticut. Uh, mine too. So <laughs> I live there too. But you know, you're right. Yeah, well, it, it was you're right. It, it's a lot of fun though. I mean, all joking aside, it's a great. It's a most one of the most memorable experiences you could ever have. Obviously, and it's something that you know I will forever have. So, and hopefully the Yankees have more of those in store. Yeah, let's do another one this year. I'm gonna segue quickly into the dot 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 etc etc segment. Each week, I have to tell everybody. I did not name this. You did. Congratulations. Gotta remind people of that. Huh? <laughs> I'm not proud of that. It was, we needed a name. We just sort of came up with that. Okay. I, I think it's evolved into something. It's kind of like when Google got named, right? Like, who, no one knew what Google was, but now everyone knows what Google is. Right. And yet, Does that make sense? No, only no? because no one knows what dot, 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 et cetera, et cetera means. Well, I'll tell you. It's a segment yeah. where it's kind of our potpourri. We go through the league. We go uh, kind of fast-paced through a couple different topics. And our first topic— And you see that as akin to Google. Yeah, right? We're not— Dot, dot, Boy, dot is not as big as know, Google. I can't, I can't go there anymore. Okay. Yahoo? Maybe. Sure. Let's go with that. Whatever you want. Okay. Uh, so I listened to last week's episode um, only once. Um, the theme was don't suffer fools is what I found. I found out Seaver doesn't suffer fools. No, Girardi no. doesn't suffer fools. No. Steinbrenner didn't suffer oh, fools. Oh, certainly not. I think we need to get I don't suffer fools t-shirts. What do you think? Yeah, I think that'd be great. 
You'd and wear it? Gonna, I, I, well, listen, I live it, so don't look at me. We'd have to get other people to... Suffer fools. <laughs> Jason Marshall would be great, you know. Jason would be good. Jason want to wear that shirt? Get him an extra small. Just get that for him. Oh, look at those guns. Who are you well, kidding? Look at, those, look at that gun. Is that one or two guns you got there? I mean, uh, okay, keep lifting weights. You're getting there. You're getting there. Okay. Uh, this past week, we asked on Twitter. By the way, Twitter, at Curtain Call Yes. That's right. What was your favorite moment from this past season? We got a nice response. Can I read a few? Sure. Okay. Uh, official 52011. That's the username. Aaron catches Aaron Hicks's catch to end the game we talked about. Couldn't uh, can't argue with that. We got a couple of those. Kay Davis says the Hicks, the Superman catch. Right. Wes Sheridan, Superman catch from Hicks. Okay, so everyone's saying Hicks. Oh, here's one. Here's one. This is Papa Paul M on Twitter. The entire next man up philosophy carried this ball team to an incredible season. Okay, I can't disagree there. Can't disagree with that either. Also on Twitter, JMC2019 says, a stuffed toy parrot in the dugout. Oh, for like Card Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. right, so we got one some. Flat, one flat, uh, one wing down there, yeah. Yeah, we got some responses. Thank you. Please, guys, write us. Let us know what you want us to talk about. We want to bring up your tweets. You know, the interesting about that is how annoying was that when when he, when he Encarnacion oh. was not a Yankee? Oh. I mean, people hated that. It was disgusting. What is that ridiculousness? You know, it was I, I wouldn't say it was as, it was oh it was better than what's his name, Rodney who used to you know shoot the ball oh, arrow. Oh, that too. That was like the dumbest thing of all time. His hat was ridiculous. Try to catch the thing. Get out. Stop. Move on. Get another gimmick. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, but <laughs> gimmick you know, infringement. But you know you, you, it's interesting. Someone gets flips to your side, and it was like yeah, it's great. You know, but I actually grew to like it. I mean, uh, I guess because he's on our side, he stopped killing us for all the years that he he killed us, and he was a Yankee killer. That's the Dustin Pedroia type thing. Like I know Dustin doesn't have a thing. Yeah. But if you're not on his side, yeah. Boy, do you hate him. But sure. If he's on your side. Well, then you got to love him. He's actually one of the one of the better players in baseball for the last twenty years. A gamer. But truthfully, I mean, the guy who just wills himself to and his team to success. He kicked gotta me res- out. Got to respect that. Of uh, the visiting dugout once. Kicked you know how many clubhouses people threw me out of? <laughs> Randy Johnson threw me out of a clubhouse when he was a Houston Astro. I've been going on forever here about people who just have no reason. They just look at you and say, what are you doing here? I said, I'm supposed to see so-and-so. Well, it's Pirates. And, yeah, okay, I'm leaving. Yeah. I mean. I was in the dugout minding my business with some media guys. Yeah, and, and he threw you out? Yeah. Did Get out of my dugout. He was. Really? Not upset. He was upset, yeah. He must have known you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about, real quick, uh, wild card game in the National League. Yeah, sure, of course. Wow. What That's, a game, right? Yes, again, as we were talking about this, this happened last night, and uh, uh, we did actually see this, so we could actually talk about this intelligently. Um, Somewhat. It was great. It was, What a game. What a game. It just shows you how great October baseball is, though. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be Brewers right fielder uh, Trent Grisham, though. Yeah, I'm not so sure it was all, all on him. You, you don't know, think I, so? Uh, I, I think that ball took a little bit of a hop. I do. But, I mean, I didn't. they didn't show you copious replays of they showed you one angle. I mean, I didn't We would have. Yeah, we would have, actually. Uh, so, I mean, I could have done a better job, I think, in my mind. But but I do. But I, from what I could see, I think it did take a little bit of a hop. But still in all, he was, you know, he was looking. He was trying to make the throw, and he shouldn't have. I mean, you, you almost have to concede the two runs. What you don't want to do is have that ball go by you and, and everybody yes. <laughs> starts circling the bases on a merry-go-round, which is, I mean, they went from a tie game with that hit would have been a tie 
and as a, and if he had played it conservatively, as opposed to letting they charge it to let it go by him, and then got then the three runs scored. So it turned everything. It was a big play in the game, but you know it also spoke to which is interesting. See, and that's the thing about the game though. And people will look at that one play and say, well, that was seminal, which it was, but that doesn't happen. If you know the, what uh, Taylor was up and the ball was, they hit him. They hit his bat. I mean, that was pretty interesting too, how that went. And you know, so he gets two out, so he gets on, and then Zimmerman comes up, who's had an incredible career, and then maybe his last at bat, Washington, because he's been there a really long time. I think it's sort of the end of his contract. He gets, gets a broken bat and ball. The ball goes in. Now you got first and third because again, Kane goes for the ball. He can't catch it. Does he go to the? And there was a big argument on TBS between Pedro and Sheffield and and uh, Jimmy Rollins as to you know should he throw the ball, catch the ball, go the cutoff guy, try to make the throw at third, whatever he doesn't. Now you got first and third. Then you get the walk to Rendon it, and then you get the big hit. So and by the way, and the walk was was obviously crucial. Because it showed you he laid off a pitch. He he made Hader was wild. He couldn't command the strike zone. So there was so much going on. The game was like was actually was not a very exciting game. It was awful actually for about for till the eighth inning, and then yeah. things all all hell broke loose. It was a great it was a great finish though. It was a great finish. How about that contract reportedly offered to Rendon? Seven years, oh two Monster. ten. To yeah. two fifty, and that's like thirty million a year, isn't more. It? So it could be between thirty and what thirty three or thirty four. Wow. I mean, well, you know, he's going to get a big deal, and I'm at that at those numbers. If you like where you are, you know, especially given the market what it is now. I mean, yeah, I mean, you start to re- you, and you start to look at it and you say to yourself, it's a great contract offer. You like where you are, you take it. You want to explore. I don't know how much no. more you can get. Get the money. You know, go get That's it. But, good. But look at the teams. You know, this is again. This may be for another day. But look at the teams. Just and you have to look at it like this. Do the, let me just ask you a question. Do the Yankees need another outfielder? Yes or no? Yes. You got St- oh, they do. Yes. You got Stanton, Judge, right? Do you have you haven't traded? Frazier, if you're going to trade him, you might, but you haven't yet. Gardner could come back for one more year. It's possible, right? Do you want to make a commitment of $34 million? Do you, is that what you're going to do? No. When you've got commit, you're going to have to pay Judge. You've got, you're already paying Stanton. I mean, so if you're the Yankees, is he, viable? Is, he yeah, a vi- is he a viable option for yes or no? Rendon? No. Yes. No. No, he's not. No. The Dodgers, is he a viable option for them, given their payroll and where they're at? No. No, okay. So the Yankees are out of it. The Dodgers. You start looking at this. Are the Red the Sox with all their? They're gonna. No, have, they got. Shaving. They got to try to keep bets. So they're gonna have sort of money issues there too. So the teams that are used could be in the forefront of this are now not in it. So where's the market gonna be? So if I'm him, you know, I, I take that because if I, especially if I like where I am, I'm taking that deal. Preaching to the choir. I completely. So I'm agree. sorry. I mean, I went we went tangent here, but it's actually not a bad point of discussion. No, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, real quick. Washington's playing L.A. Who do you like? Washington. Wow. Everyone's saying Dodgers in the World Series. Yeah, they could say that. Except you. We're going to see how smart you are. We're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 you know, it's funny. I saw a lot of people actually pick Washington, and they did it before the wild card game yesterday, which I said I could see maybe picking after them, but that wild card game is such a death trap. It's such a t- an awful game to have to play. I love you it. Could be, it is great. If you're a fan, you love it. Love but, it. But, I mean, if you're a, I mean, you're a player and you got to go through that game, I mean, everything, you got to pitch your race, you got all kinds of stuff at stake. So, I mean, I'm, but I, I, I think Washington. I like Washington over the Dodgers. I think the Braves are going to win, too. And then Braves over Washington? Yeah, yeah, I think so. That's Yeah, that makes sense. That's my, that's where I'm going. I don't know. One more manager, actually two more managerial opens since last we talked. Uh, Joe Madden is out in Chicago. Uh, Clint Hurdle is out in Pittsburgh. 
Yes. I, I thought Madden would be gone. You said that. You've been saying that for a couple of weeks now. Uh, just because it, it was contract was going to be up. And I didn't see the land. I mean, he got the championship, which was great. He's etched in forever because of that. And he should be. But the year subsequent to that, they have not done well in the postseason. So, or didn't make the postseason, which was the case here. And if you're the Cubs, you have to make the postseason. And the way in which they finished, which was just not, they had a bad finish. So I, it, it was probably time for a change. And that's why I, I kind of saw that happening. Does he find a job somewhere else? Oh, absolutely. He could find a job in 10 minutes if he wants one. There were rumors about the Angels. I'm, you know, I think that there are one or two other openings. There's going to be other openings. So if those other openings, as in, that I think will happen, happen, I think it'll be candidates for those jobs as well. He's going to, if he wants a job, he's not going to have a problem finding one. No, he's not. Flip, we talked about a lot of great things this episode, huh? We had Buck. Buck was amazing. Always year-end awards. Buck knows so much. He's yeah. such a great guest. Yeah. Again, though, he's really funny. He, he cracks is, me up. He's funny and he's knowledgeable and he's going to be on yes throughout the postseason. So that's. That's a, you know, I'm enjoying that and with our crew that we already have, but nobody knows the Yankees like that group we have. No, no that'll one. be a lot of fun. Um, we talked Minnesota versus Yankees, obviously. We talked about the Dumont Network you brought up. Yes, Harry Coyle. You know the, the Dumont Network. Dumont Network is uh, instrumental in the history of WWE. That's where wrestling really got its start on the Dumont Network. You know, I, I never really, I didn't know that and I never really would have thought of it, but now that you say it, it makes all the sense in the world. Cheap programming, you point a camera sure. at a ring I in mean, a studio. Gorgeous George, right? Oh, yeah. Gorgeous George was the, one of the first big television stars and that was must have been Dumont. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So you want to land this thing? Sure. Let's, Let's land, land the plane, it. as Ashley Fugazi famously <laughs> says. Let's land that plane. For John J. Filippelli and Jason Marshall, I'm Kevin Sullivan saying we'll see you next time. <laughs>